Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. I am Patrick D. McCoy, the African American voice in classical music. Today we are excited to present our second installment of the Opera Diva series. Last, we spent time with soprano Carmen Balthrop, who shared about her career. And just a reminder for those of you in the D.C. area, be sure to catch her Divas Night Out concert on March the 26th. Today's guest is one of America's preeminent dramatic sopranos. Grammy Award-winning soprano Christine Brewer's appearances in opera, concert, and recital are marked with her own unique timbre at once warm and brilliant, combined with a vibrant personality and emotional honesty, which make her a favorite on the concert stages as well as a sought-after recording artist. Please welcome soprano Christine Brewer. Good afternoon, Ms. Brewer. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm so fine. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for taking this opportunity to share your career with us today. Oh, you bet. Thank you so much. Now I want to talk talk to you briefly. Um, I understand that you are pretty much well-known to be a person of basically modest beginnings and known as a hometown girl. So I want to know, how do you balance between being just Christine Brewer uh, to being Christine Brewer, this Grammy Award-winning opera singer? Well, I'll tell you, uh, having a child will do that to you. Having a, a child who <laughs> always always find a way to bring you right back down to earth. I, I, I'll give you a little mm. one example. Um, this is many years ago. I made my debut um, uh, in Vienna singing um, Misa Solemnus with Sir Neville Mariner conducting, and I was so excited. And um, I, I got back to my hotel after the performance and after we'd had dinner, and since there was a seven-hour time difference, I knew that my husband and daughter were home uh, from school then. My husband was a school teacher and, and, and she was in elementary school. So I thought, I'll give him a phone call and just share this exciting um, evening that I've just had. So I called and she answered the phone and I started to say, oh, you know, I just did my concert here and it went really well and we had a lovely dinner. And she goes, Mom, 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 excuse me, um, we're just getting ready to carve a jack-o'-lantern right now. Um, could you call us back a little later? And that just put it all in perspective. Carving the jack-o'-lantern oh. took precedence over my Vienna. So uh, that that's pretty much uh, how how that works. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you discover your your general love for opera? Uh, really, it was it was uh, I guess relatively late. You would say I grew up um, in a family uh, where my mother and my brothers and I sang gospel music um, and spirituals, and, and uh, my mom sang in a women's trio that did gospel and jazz, and um, it really wasn't until I um, went to college, and I saw my first opera when I was about probably 17 or 18 years old. Um, we took a field trip to SIU Carbondale in uh, southern Illinois, and they were doing a performance of uh, Don Giovanni. And that was the first opera I ever saw, and I was just blown away, as you can imagine, you know. Um, so that was really my first experience with, with opera, of, of seeing a performance. 
Wow. I want to go back to you mentioning when you were growing up that you were singing around the house, singing gospel music and, and spiritual with your family. I wanted to mention a couple of years ago, well, a good number of years ago, I heard my teacher uh, sing a song cycle by um, the composer John Carter, and it's called Cantata. And mm-hmm. it's, it, it, it's, you know, it's based on spirituals, but it's said in such a classical way. And then I discovered that you actually recorded that cycle. How did that come about, you choosing that particular work? Well, um, uh, it's been several years ago. Um, the Opera Theater in St. Louis um, approached me about doing a recording that they would release um, privately and um, produce, and, and, uh, and we did it in St. Louis. And they thought it would be interesting to do it around a St. Louis theme, um, you know, the, the very famous Wagnerian soprano Helen Traubel was from St. Louis, and the title of her um, autobiography was St. Louis Woman, which was a very wonderful book. If you haven't read it, it's, it's, it's really a funny. She had a great sense of humor, and um, it's a great book. But anyway, we thought, why not capitalize on uh, St. Louis? So we called the album St. Louis Woman, and um, I sang songs either about St. Louis or songs that were by St. Louis composers. So as I started doing research for the um, recording, uh, I, I came across John Carter, who was born in St. Louis. And I don't think he lived there a long time. He, he spent actually a lot of his time in Washington, D.C. Um, but I, I came across his name and found this piece and just fell in love. Of course, I knew the songs, but the, as you said, the settings are very classical sort of settings. And... Um, just really um, masterful uh, uh, settings and, and not so easy for the singer or for the pianist. And so we recorded it for this private recording um, uh, in St. Louis, and then I started adding it to my recitals. And I sang it in London um, few, oh, maybe two or three years ago, and it was recorded for one of the Wigmore Live series uh, from Wigmore Hall in London with Roger Vignoles accompanying me. And um, and it was, it was quite a big success. Um, in fact, I have to say, when I'm singing in London, I I quite often do American music, and it's it's always really um, successful there. My favorite movement of that cycle has to be the Takata, right on King Jesus. Oh, you know it. That thing just flies, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, and the piano, the piano part particularly, oh. it, it makes oh. such a tour de force from the soprano just to really soar. It's certainly yeah, a crowd you, piece. you got that, definitely. <laughs> now, oftentimes uh, when we talk about sopranos and, and, and legendary figures in opera, a lot of times, especially when your name is mentioned, it's oftentimes mentioned in the same breath as the famous soprano Bridget Nielsen. Um, what impact does she have on your career? Well, um, she was really a, a, a wonderful mentor to me, um, and I met her actually in, in Washington, D.C. the first time. She was there um, at Catholic University doing a master class, a couple of master classes, and um, I was able to get into the class that she taught on German leader, and she did an opera class, but that one was full. So I sang in the, uh, the German leader class, um, and it was it was actually Evelyn Lear who told me about the class. I had sung for um, a Met audition, and Evelyn was one of the judges. And it was one of the times I sang and didn't place, and uh, you know, 
was so disappointed, and Evelyn talked to me afterwards, and she said, you know, I think you are a young um, dramatic soprano, and I I know that um, Birgit Nielsen is giving some master classes in D.C. in a couple of months, and, and I just think it would be great for you to, to get a chance to meet her and sing for her. So um, I sang, I, I remember what I sang. I did uh, Hugo Wolf, uh, the Mignon song, Kennst du das Land? And I started singing, and I had only sung one phrase. Now, I'd sat through some of the, cl- uh, the whole class, and some of the singers who had gotten up prior to me would sing a phrase or two, and she would stop them and, and basically say, you know, I, I don't think you're really ready for this. Thank you very much, you know. Um, she didn't mince any words, let's put it that way. And so um, I sang the first phrase, and she stopped me. And, you know, my life just flashed before my eyes. I thought, what in the world am I doing here, you know? And um, and she said, uh, where where did you come from? And I said, well, I, I live in a little town near St. Louis, Missouri, and um, why did you come all this way for this class? And I said, well, Evelyn Lear uh, heard me sing recently and thought that perhaps I should sing for you and that you might be able to, uh, you know, give me some good advice. And she said, who who taught you how to sing? <laughs> and I said, well, mostly my mother. <laughs> and, and she said, well, very good. Okay, let's continue on, you know. And um, so we, we did the class, and then later that night I got a call that she wanted to give me a private lesson the next day. So um, I went in and sang for her for a couple of hours, and we worked together. And then she invited me to um, – she was doing this really interesting uh, class in a little village called Vukerberg, Germany, about six months later. And she invited me to come. And she only accepted six singers – uh, from all over the world, um, and uh, we sang, and we, we actually, it was like having a master class every day. All six of us sang to her, and uh, and she would critique us and give us pointers, and um, and then we did some auditions while we were there. We did a couple recitals while we were there, and it was, um, I, 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 I know I was there probably about a month. And I actually took my mother with me, and she got to meet Birgit, and uh, they became good good buddies during that that period of time. So that's where we first met, and we kept in touch up until she died a couple of years ago. Um, whenever we, um, you know, whenever I had a radio broadcast of, um, oh, for instance, the first time I sang Isolde in London, it was broadcast on BBC Radio Three, and I got a, a recording of it, and I sent it to her, and. She wrote back, and she always would critique the things that I would send, and or we'd speak on the phone, and she would give me um, advice, and and really wonderful advice as I was branching into the bigger repertoire. So just to mix things up a little bit now, when you meet a young soprano, um, the propensity these days is basically to hear a sound or kind of copy a sound that one hears. So. When you hear a soprano or you're approached by a young budding soprano who says, I'm a dramatic soprano, I want to sing Wagner, and, and I'm, say, 21, 22, what kind of advice do you give to them? Well, you know, um, I can only go by my own experience. And for me, and and, and certainly what uh, Ms. Nielsen said to me early on when we started working together, um, I started out singing lots of, uh, Mozart and I really the beginning of my career in the early 90s I was singing things like um, Donna Anna in, in Giovanni and 
um, the Countess in, Mar- in Marriage of Figaro and uh, Vitalia in Clemenza. And, and, and she said her advice to me at that time was, as long as you're singing Mozart like this, keep singing it. Because you will sing Strauss and Wagner. It will come. But singing the Mozart, especially with the, um, the, um, the coloratura stuff, will keep your voice, her, her two words, healthy and useful. And um, this was always sort of the litmus test for her. Um, when I sang my first immolation scene in uh, Stockholm, uh, she were, and she she wasn't at the concert, but she listened to the live broadcast and called me on the the phone at the stage manager's desk. And when they came to my dressing room and said I had a phone call, I couldn't imagine who even knew I was there. And it was Birgit. And she the first thing she said was, "Well, I wanted to hear your speaking voice, and I wanted to hear and it still sounds healthy and useful." Now let me just tell you, don't ever sing the lower. Stuff any louder than you sang it tonight, and then she went on with a little critique from the rest of the for the performance. But so my advice this is kind of a long answer. I, I you know I tend to get long winded. You might have to just you know get the hook out in a minute, Patrick. But, oh, though no, it's quite fine. But you know, um, for me, it was very helpful to keep singing Mozart and Handel and Haydn, uh, and I still do because I do think that that keeps my voice flexible and healthy and useful. Um, and um, so so I, I do, you know, I, certainly there there are probably young voices who can sing the big stuff early. Um, uh, but in my, from my opinion and from my experience, I think it's better to let that voice mature and, um, and grow into those pieces. Um, also, I find that there are so many things I sing now that if I had tried to sing them 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, uh, I don't think I had the life experience to um, to make those pieces real uh, real to me. Um, mm. And um, well, another another instance um, when I was a student, uh, I went to a, a little Methodist college here in Southern Illinois. Uh, my voice teacher, Glenn Freiner used to take students to uh, to hear performances in St. Louis with the St. Louis Symphony. And he took me to hear four last songs of Strauss. Heather Harper was singing them. I was probably about 18 years old. Well, of course, I fell in love with the songs, and I went out and purchased the score and brought it to my next voice lesson. And thankfully, I had a voice teacher who, you know, really understood voices, and he said, okay, you're too young to sing these songs now, but you're not too young to study the poems. And so I started studying the poetry of the four last songs and um, and didn't sing them. I, I don't think I sang them until I was well into my 30s, late 30s perhaps. Um, and I've probably sung those songs more than anything else, and I've recorded them, and I find that um, as I sing them, as I get older, um, I have more um, more of a life experience. So not only has my voice changed and matured, but I have changed and I've evolved. And those songs, I think I can bring something different to them um, now because I've had a different life experience. So I would tell young singers to, um, to you know, take your time. 
Um, certainly, I sang so much German Leader when I was in college. Uh, that also, oh dear, my dog, my dog's barking. Somebody's at the door. Um, I'm sorry. Um, uh, that also, I think, um, got me prepared for singing Wagner and for singing Strauss. Uh, learning uh, to sing these wonderful Hugo Wolf uh, songs and um, Schubert and Strauss songs, those certainly, there's a journey. And I think sometimes we're, we're tempted to want to rush ahead. And, and I want to be singing, you know, Brunhilde by the time I'm 23. Well, there are so many other things to do along the way. Uh, I think it's better for me to wait. I think it was a better it was better for me that I waited. So are there any young singers listening, whether you're soprano, alto, tenor, or bass, that was some exceptional um, advice that Ms. Brewer uh, definitely just gave. Now tell me something. What would you say your favorite operatic role is? Oh, man. that You know, that changes. Uh, it changes from uh, almost day to day, year to year. Um, and, and I know this sounds trite to say, but um, it's usually whatever I'm, I'm working on at the moment. Um, I, I, but some of my favorite roles, I, I can't really pinpoint just one. Um, I sing a lot of Benjamin Britten's operas, and I find the, the women in his operas are so um, fascinating to, to study and to sing. I love singing Ellen Orford in Peter Grimes. I think that's probably one of my favorite operas. Um, and I love singing the part of Queen Elizabeth I in his opera Gloriana. Um, those are two, certainly two of my favorite roles. I love singing Leonora in Fidelio. I love singing Isolde. Um, I've sort of listed strong women. There might be a theme there, Patrick. Um, <laughs> I think there's a theme running through there. Um, but it, it's so difficult to say. I, I find different uh, different things about each opera, um, and, and you know, entrance me at the time I'm working on them. And when I repeat a role, quite often I'll find something else that um, is, you know, intriguing that I maybe missed the first time. Or maybe, as I said earlier, through life experience, it means something differently to me. So uh, those are probably the roles that are my favorites. Ariadne, of course, I've sung probably more than any role. I love, I love that opera. I love the little bit of humor that she gets to um, portray in the, in the prologue. Because um, you know, not too many of the roles I sing are humorous, and I find uh, I'm—I think I'm a humorous person. So it's it's always nice when I get to do something on stage that has some humor in, involved. So, what's your dog's favorite opera? Because it sounds like he or she has quite some chops. Oh my God! I've got two dogs. Um, one is a golden retriever, Minnie. And the other one is a little um, uh, mutt. We call her Macy. We, uh, they're 9 and 11 years old. And they've been to Santa Fe several times. They love going to, um, you know, to visit me on the when we're rehearsing opera outdoors. They'll sometimes come with me to the, you know, rehearsals. They'll, they'll sit in the living room right beside the piano when I'm rehearsing. And they never howl or anything, so I think they, they enjoy it. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your upcoming recital at the Kennedy Center, sponsored by the Vocal Arts 
uh, Society of Washington now called Vocal Arts DC. Tell me about that program. Well, I'm really excited about this program. Um, I, I've called it when I have sung my songs to you, an evening of American music. Um, and um, I'm, I'm starting the program with uh, a song cycle by Giancarlo Minotti, and this is his 100th anniversary of his birth this year. Um, and the, the, the piece is called Canti della Lontananza, Songs of Absence. Uh, there are seven songs that he wrote the text in Italian and he wrote the music for. He gave these to me, um, oh gosh, probably in the early, mid-90s. Uh, we we uh, were acquainted and whenever I was in Scotland, he would invite me to come and visit. And he gave these to me. He had written them for um, Elizabeth Schwarzkopf and I think she premiered them in the mid-60s. And um, And he said, I think these would be songs that would be really, really good for you. They're extremely um, poignant, uh, as you can imagine, songs of absence, um, uh, songs of lost love, songs of uh, relationships that have not gone well, um, and, and they're very, um, very touching songs. I actually recorded them uh, with another song cycle of his, simply called Five Songs, uh, a few years ago, and then he invited me to come to, um, I'd been to the Stiletto Festival in Italy a few times, but he invited me to come for his 95th birthday. So Roger Vignoles and I went, and we did these song cycles, and then I did a couple arias from some of his operas, and um, he sat on stage, and I sang them to him. So he was on stage for those perform- that performance, and it was just a really um, lovely time. It was the last time I saw him. So I always have a little... Um, a little tug on my heart when I sing these pieces because I know how much he loved them. So we're starting the program with those, and then I'm doing this piece, which I actually sang last year in Washington, D.C., but I think it is a piece, it's new, and it's one of those that I'd like to repeat because I think it's one that um, uh, audiences uh, probably would, if they did hear it last year, will enjoy hearing it again. It's called Letters from George to Evelyn, by uh, the composer Alan Smith. Alan is uh, from Texas. He is the head of the piano department at USC uh, in, in California, and he's the head of the chamber music program at Tanglewood, and that's where I first met him several years ago. These letters were letters that uh, Lieutenant George Hans wrote to his bride of one year, Evelyn, uh, while he was in the service. Uh, during World War II. So they're love letters. Um, and, and what I love about them is that um, you get the glimpse of what he's going through, but you also sense that he's trying to protect her from really knowing just how difficult it is. Um, but he does express his fear a few times as they're preparing for D-Day. Uh, he, he expresses a little bit of his uh, trepidation and uh, makes the comment that, um, you know, I have to have all this bravado around my, my men, but there's this inside of me, I wonder, am I really ready for this? He did survive D-Day, but he was killed shortly after that in Germany. And so Alan set the telegram that Evelyn received, that is one of the movements in the piece, and it's set very minimalistically, if that's a word, uh, in a very minim- minimalist way. Um, it's quite moving, 
the pieces when mm. I, I I performed them in uh, London last month. Uh, no, in January, and uh, they were very uh, successful. And and so I um, I thought it bared repeating these this year. So I'm going to do that. Will be our first half. Second half of the program, um, my accompanist Craig Rutenberg will be playing some Virgil Thompson uh, piano settings, and then um, I'm going to sing the last aria. Uh, the very last words in the opera um, that Virgil Thompson wrote, The Mother of Us All, which is about Susan B. Anthony. And what a brave woman and what an incredible woman she is. And I I just said, I've got to sing this piece because um, I so admire what she did for women and for and for those maybe young listeners who maybe haven't studied her in school. Um, she was really responsible for the women's suffrage movement and for women getting the right to vote. Sadly, she died before women actually got the right to vote. She died about 14 years before um, Amendment 19 was passed. So um, that I find this piece very moving and very um, empowering. Again, we're back to the strong women, Patrick. There we go. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then I'm singing some of my favorite Charles Ives songs, and I'm ending with some songs that are um, included on a new recording that just came out this week. Um, they're songs that were sung by some of the great divas of the 40s and 50s and 60s, uh, Kirsten Flagstad, Helen Traubel, St. Louis Woman, Eileen Farrell, and Eleanor Stieber. And these were songs that they sang in recitals or that they used as encores for recitals. They're American pieces, and really pieces that aren't heard much anymore. Uh, a lot of them are out of print. And uh, so I've been singing those for the past year in recitals and, and just recorded them for Hyperion. And I think they're really a nice a nice set to add to, uh, to the program. I do want to talk a little bit about Echoes of Nightingales uh, very shortly, but I just got a little uh, a tip from Mr. Brewer who wants me to uh, ask you about Alice. Ask me about uh, Alice? Ask about Alice's dog. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, I told you my dogs never howl or never never cry, you know, when I'm singing. My coach in St. Louis, Alice Nelson, has this uh, long-haired dachshund. Daisy, and Daisy is about 16 years old now, I think, and whenever I go to work with Alice and we're coaching Wagner or Strauss, Daisy, I'm not, I'm not kidding you, this is a God's honest truth, she will just lie either on my feet or right beside me, on the, on the, you know, right beside me next to the piano while I sing Wagner. And when I start singing uh, Benjamin Britten, however, or, um, oh, well, any other repertoire. She seems to only like the German, dramatic German repertoire. She walks away. She doesn't howl, but she just puts her head up and walks away into the other room. It is the funniest thing. Uh, so I guess she's a little music critic, and maybe because she's a German dog, she only prefers to hear German repertoire. But this has gone on for 10 or 15 years. It's very funny. So, yeah, that's, that's the story of my friend, Alice. <laughs> a diva dog. 
Yes, she is. And she only likes the dr- dramatic German repertoire. Mm. <laughs> that is too funny. I do have an excerpt uh, from your new recording, Echoes of Nightingales. I would like to take a moment to play the first uh, track on the disc, and the song is called Sing to Me, Sing by Sydney Homer. This is soprano Christine Brewer, accompanied by Roger Vignoles. And that was soprano. Miss Brewer, you still there? I am. Yes. I'm not. I'm not sure what happened, but it, for for what we heard of the the, the, the selection, it was wonderful. <laughs> now, one thing I <laughs> we always have these technical um, issues. One thing I really liked about your disc is the time and thought that you put into assembling uh, something that was not just a project per se, but it was also uh, meaningful to you. So was this this whole concept all your idea to to pay homage to these special encores by these legendary Wagnerian sopranos? Well, that was that was primarily the idea, but it was also for me um, it was a tribute to my very first voice teacher, Glenn Freiner, who introduced me to these songs when I was a student uh, in in college and. Um, mm-hmm. He, as a young man, would go and hear Kirsten Flagstad when she was doing her recital tour around America, and he uh, he saved the programs. And he would um, note, you know, she usually sings some Sibelius songs, uh, uh, maybe some Wagner, Basendonk Leader, maybe some Schubert or Strauss, but she always ended her programs in America with a set of uh, of American songs. And so he would purchase these songs, the sheet music, keep them in his file, and he would share them and teach them to his students. He did the same thing when he heard Helen Traubel sing. Um, And, again, he would jot down in his program what encores these women would sing and, again, go and purchase the sheet music. And and so he had just a, a, a treasure trove of these, what I call these, gems, these, these, and the reason I named the album Echoes of Nightingales is because of that first song, Sing to Me Sing, uh, that great glad-throated nightingale. And I thought, well, these women were all nightingales, so these are echoes from their voices. Um, and um, so anyway, 
it was something I mentioned uh, when Roger and I were recording. Uh, we did a Strauss disc uh, for Hyperion, and um, and I just mentioned the idea. Well, they kept pestering me from Hyperion, and you know, when are you going to get the repertoire together? We really want to do this, and so um, I started singing some of the songs in my recitals. And um, my my dear voice teacher Glenn passed away and left me his uh, vocal music file, uh, and so. As I started thinking about this project, I started going through the files and I started pulling out the songs that were so familiar to me from my voice lessons and from my studies. And I felt like Glenn was just there looking over my shoulder as I was choosing the music. And as I said earlier, much of this is out of print now, which is is really sad. Um, And um, so I, I found the songs that I wanted to do to represent these four great singers and then I sent them to Roger, and we started, you know, paring it down. Okay, let's do this one. Let's. How about we try that one? And um, and we came up with um, with this particular set. And I'm I'm so happy about it. And we've been doing these in recitals for the past year. And I, I thought they would appeal. I was pretty sure they would appeal to the older audience, perhaps people who had heard some of these women sing in their prime. Uh, but I've been really overwhelmed by how many of the young people, the university students, the music students in the conservatories, come up to me afterwards and say, oh, my gosh, that, that one song you did by uh, Sidney Homer or this song by Kramer, now where can I get a copy of that? And I have to tell them they're out, out of print. So my next project uh, is to see if I can uh, somehow get these pieces perhaps uh, published again so that some of the young students could start uh, performing them again. I think they're beautiful songs, and we just haven't heard them for, for many years. That would be an absolutely wonderful project. And I want to take the opportunity uh, to let the listeners know about the recording. The recording, again, is called Echoes of Nightingales. by soprano Christine Brewer, accompanied by Roger Vignoles. It's on the Hyperion label. You can pick this recording up if you just go to Amazon.com and just put Christine Brewer or Echoes of Nightingales in the search engine that should come up. And it's a, it's a definitely a wonderful recording. I was so happy I got a, a, a note from your publicist uh, to ask me had I gotten a disc. And so I went immediately to my mailbox, and the disc was right there yesterday. And I had to, had to say his timing was perfect, so it was wonderful to have an opportunity to listen to the disc. It's such a wonderful collection. Well, it was funny when we were recording it last December in London. Um, we would we would do a take of one of the songs, and um, the producer, you know, who I've worked with many times, he would come on the. He'd say, "Oh, now that one is my favorite. That is a gem." Okay, so then we do another song. Okay, no, you know what? I take, this one is my favorite now. Really, this <laughs> one is just so special. And, this went on, and we started laughing about it. I said, you're going to say that about everyone because they are little gems. Um, many of them were encore pieces, um, or as I said, they were pieces that these women put, uh, you know, maybe at the end of their recital programs. Uh, and so they are little, they're just little gems. And um, so I, I hope people will enjoy it as much as we did when we put it together. I want to talk about your, your performance schedule. You've been so gracious, and I know that when we were doing a lot of our correspondence, you had just uh, come off of several performances of Mahler's uh, Eighth Symphony in Amsterdam, and I had a chance to, to look at your 
your your schedule. You have a lot ahead of you coming up. Yes, I do. A lot of Mahler. Um, this is an anniversary year for Mahler as uh, well, and uh, so a lot of orchestras are uh, putting up uh, Mahler's Eighth Symphony or the Symphony of a Thousand. It doesn't get performed a lot because it really is a huge undertaking. It has eight soloists, uh, two full adult choruses, a children's chorus, um, full orchestra, uh, brass choir off stage. Um, it, it just really is a thrilling piece, but also very difficult to put together. So we were doing it in Amsterdam with the Royal um, Concertgebouw Orchestra, and uh, it was videotaped for a television broadcast for a later date, and it was recorded for a CD, uh, and then we did two performances of it while I was there. But I'm singing Mahler 8 in... Beijing this year, Tokyo, Munich, Berlin, Rome. Um, I'm probably forgetting somewhere. Uh, and I have a Mahler II, his Resurrection Symphony. I'm singing here at my hometown orchestra in St. Louis in April. So I'm really looking forward to, to these upcoming Mahler concerts. But lots One of, of your performances... Mm. <laughs> One of your performances that really struck me was your... Uh, upcoming appearance later on um, for the Savannah Music Festival, and I guess it really piqued my interest because one of my uh, dear friends from my hometown of, of Petersburg, Virginia, where I'm from, Timothy Hall, now uh, lives in Savannah. He's lived there for several years, but he's instrumental in a lot of the, the musical going going on there, so I just wanted to definitely to recognize him. And um, do you know anything more about the Savannah Music Festival that you're singing on? Uh, well, I, I know... You know that you caught me. I'm, I've got. I tried to put everything in front of me that I knew you might ask. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I was, and, I was um, just curious because. Well, I'm trying to see. I'm trying to recall. I think I'm singing um, on that recital. I think I'm singing Wagner's Wesendonck Leader um, mm. in the in the first part of the program. Um, and it, that piece, of course, was what he wrote when he was. Um, when he was uh, working on Tristan and Isolde. So you hear all of these uh, beautiful themes from from that opera throughout this piece that he wrote uh, with the poems from Matilda Wesendonck, who was the wife of one of his um, patrons, and he was madly in love with her. So they had that this unrequited love, and, and she wrote these beautiful, beautiful poems, and, um, and he set them, um, you know, to the music that... We then later here in um, in Tristan and Isolde, and I think I am also singing some Strauss leader in that recital. I'm so sorry I don't. Ha- oh, hold, hold on. <laughs> uh, I just okay. okay. the website here for the Savannah Music Festival, and I will tell you if they've got my program listed. I hope they do. Uh, yes. Okay. I am doing um, the Wagner. I'm opening with. Um, an aria that Birgit Nielsen quite often opened with when she was doing recitals, Divini Tedi Steaks from uh, Gluck's opera Alceste. Um, I sang Alceste last summer in Santa Fe, another just brilliant, gorgeous opera, and uh, again, another strong woman who gives up her life so that her husband can live. You know, uh, it's one of those those age-old stories, you know, um, uh, behind every great man is, 
great woman or something like that. Anyway, um, we're going to open with that aria, which is just like a firecracker, you know. Uh, then we'll do this, the, the Wagner, Weizendonk leader, and then some Strauss leader. And then in the program in Savannah, uh, back to earlier when I said how much I love singing Benjamin Britten's operas, I also love singing Benjamin Britten's uh, art songs. And we're going to do uh, his cabaret songs. The poems are by Auden. And they're just, they're, they're sort of tongue-in-cheek, uh, very witty, uh, funny, uh, beautiful songs. We're going to do those in, um, in this uh, recital. And we are going to do uh, John Carter's cantata in that recital as well. So it will be, um, it'll be a lot of fun. And Craig Rutenberg will be accompanying me in Savannah. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for taking the time to read. I'm so sorry to catch you off guard. Um, oh, that's okay. I definitely... This is what is so great about having a computer. And, and, you know, you can just Google something, and there you've got the information. It's perfect. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being, being so kind. Just going back to opera, um, when you mentioned about uh, performing the glute, uh, what is your interest um, these days in performing more uh, staged opera? Well, um, I'm doing, actually, I have a lot of um, uh, Britain's uh, Gloriana's coming up uh, in, the next, um, in the next couple of years, because I also think there's a Britain anniversary um, of his, I think of his birth, or his, I, I don't know. But anyway, um, so I, I will be doing, I'll, I'll be doing a role that I, I sang for the first time in London, and then... Um, I sang the 50th anniversary performance of Gloriana uh, in Aldborough, uh, where Britain had his festival. Um, and um, this was, he wrote Gloriana for the coronation of the current queen, Queen Elizabeth II. And, and it was pre- premiered in London. Uh, and so I sang the 50th anniversary of that. And then I did a, a production in St. Louis at the Opera Theatre with Colin Graham directing and Stuart Bedford conducting. These were both men who worked hand-in-hand with Benjamin Britten. So I always felt when I sang a Britten opera with those two gentlemen, I was really getting, you know, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And um, it it was a role that I really, really resonated with me. And uh, what a powerful, um, brilliant woman Queen Elizabeth I was. And Britain really captures her humanity in this piece. So uh, it's a it's a role I wanted to perform again, and I'll be singing it with the New York City Opera, uh, Los Angeles Opera. Uh, I'll be singing it in Norway at the National Opera in Oslo, um, and I'll be singing in Santa Fe in 2014. So it's a piece I'm really very um, close to. So I'll be I'll be doing several uh, productions of that. And um, I'm adding to my repertoire this year a role that I, one again, I thought I probably wouldn't sing. I wasn't sure. I certainly didn't want to sing it early in my career, and that's the role of Turandot. And um, uh, I know a lot of my friends have said, oh, you said you'd never sing that. You, you know, didn't, didn't think you wanted to do it. But I've started working on it. I'm going to sing it this summer. In um, at the Hollywood Bowl with uh, Gustavo Dudamel conducting the L.A. Philharmonic. And so I'll be doing it in concert first, which is a way I like to do. 
I did Tristan and Isolde in concert first um, in London before I did any stage productions of it. So same thing with this piece. So I hope to do some stage productions of uh, of Turned Up after this per- performance this summer. Well, I definitely want to offer my hearty congratulations to you on all of these, these magnificent accomplishments. You're such a role model to all of us who are in the field of uh, whether it's classical music or just pursuing professional music careers in general. It takes a lot of work, and it just seems like that you really put your heart and soul in it. So I just definitely want to say thank you. Oh, well, you're welcome. Um, just as we move towards the, the end of the interview, um, I just want to ask a, a few more questions. I wanted to know, um, just as we uh, wind down, first of all, when we think about contemporary singers in opera that are singing today, are there any uh, contemporary dramatic sopranos who are singing, maybe colleagues that you have come to admire their work as well? Oh, there are so many. I, it, you know, if I start naming, I, I'll forget somebody, and then I'll think, oh, gosh, you know, I don't want to omit anyone. There's so many wonderful singers um, whom I've had the, the pleasure and the opportunity to work with. Um, uh, one, I can just say right off the top of my head, I just sang with Stephanie Blythe uh, in this Mahler 8, and we're doing the Verdi Requiem together uh, at the May Festival uh, with James Conlon this spring in a couple months in May. Um, and what a beautiful, dramatic mezzo voice and just a wonderful singer. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, Michelle DeYoung comes to mind, another wonderful, wonderful singer. We've done a lot of Mahler twos together. We've done some Mahler eights together. Um, oh, I, I'm sure I'm I, – I hate to start listing people. Well, I, I don't want to get you in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get a, an email later from somebody saying, you didn't mention – you know. Um, <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna bail you out. I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop right here. Okay. Just on a more personal note, I do want to share with you, as I, I like to share whenever I can. My mentor at home, uh, Jim Peake, he was the minister of music at my church, and I really credit him for really exposing me to a lot of classical music. And one of the major composers, I'm not composers, but conductors rather that he exposed me to was Robert Shaw. And the oh. first time that I heard uh, you sing was when you sang the uh, soprano solo in the um, the Regina Chaley by Mascani. Could you maybe talk about briefly just your experience working with Robert Shaw? I'd be happy to. Um, I, I first met Mr. Shaw when I was singing in the St. Louis Symphony Chorus. I was one of the section leaders in the chorus. Um, this was back when I was teaching school and um just sort of, you know, getting a start in in my uh, career. And he came to St. Louis to conduct Elijah. And he wanted um, a soprano from the chorus to sing. Um, There's just a little um, thing from the balcony, you know, uh, in the second half of the piece. And I found out about it the day before he arrived. And so they called me and they said, well, just, just learn. It's only a page. You'll get to meet with Mr. Shaw, and then he'll put you up in the balcony, and he'll practice it and figure out where he wants you to sing it and all that stuff. So that was our first meeting. And then when I really made my career, you know, change and and quit teaching and and, uh, teaching school and uh, really started singing, I did have the opportunity to sing uh, Janáček's Glagolitic Mass with Mr. Shaw and record it. And this would have been, I think, 
1991 or two, um, and I was just scared out of my mind, as you can imagine. And I will say it was baptism by fire. And if Marietta Simpson had not been there singing the mezzo part and holding my hand, I probably would have just, you know, uh, packed my bags and come home because I was so nervous. Uh, but she had sung with him uh, for a few years before this uh, performance, and she said, now look, Chris, he he is really rough on singers the first time they sing with him. So just hang in there. You're, you're going to make it. It's going to be fine. And, um, and that was good advice because I did hang in. We did the recording, and it was a big success. And I went on to sing with him right up until the end of his life. We probably... Um, oh, I can't even tell you how many things. We did Elijah together several times. We recorded the Mescani, um and we, we performed that in Atlanta. Uh, we did a lot of Beethoven Mises Solemnus performances. Uh, we did a couple at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., uh, a few in um, San Diego. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, we did lots of things, and I have to say, in my scores, especially in the Mesa Solemnus, which is such a, a, a thrilling piece but a difficult piece to grasp, um, really not just musically but psychologically, and there are so many things that Shaw shared with us. I have little notes in my Beethoven score, you know, with R.S. beside them, different things that he would say throughout the rehearsals and um, that were just so profound. He was truly one of the best choral conductors, I think, ever. And I know that other choral conductors hold him up as, as someone that they, you know, aspired to. And, and many of them took his uh, seminars that he gave at uh, Carnegie Hall. And um, he was just brilliant, brilliant man. And I feel so honored that I got to, in my early career, work with him uh, before he passed away. He was great. That is wonderful. You know, it's such a small world, especially living here in D.C. Uh, you had mentioned Marietta Simpson. Well, her sister is Evelyn um, Simpson-Curitan, who is a well-known organist and composer, and she has a, a lot of wonderful arrangements of spirituals. So I know that you do like to do spirituals, so that might be uh, a composer oh, yeah. that you I'm might want to investigate. Well, Marietta and I have talked about doing a recital together of uh, of some spirituals and some of the songs that we grew up. She grew up singing with her family. I grew up singing with my family. And uh, so we have tossed that idea around, and, uh, you know, it's just a matter of finding a time that we're both uh, available to do something like that. But wouldn't that, that would be a lot of fun. Well, listen, I'm going to be on both of you, both of you are my Facebook friends. Okay, we'll be <laughs> on this on this show. <laughs> I'm going to be on both of you to make that recital happen. It would be fun, wouldn't it? It would be really great. I love Marietta. I love her. And I just, she is just one of the greatest. She was just so helpful in those early years with Mr. Shaw when I was just, you know, a nervous wreck. And um, and we became very close friends, and um, I just love her. I'm sure she'll appreciate that. I want to take a moment, just as we, we end this time with with the wonderful Christine Brewer, I just want to say again, thank you so much for taking this opportunity to speak with the African-American voice and classical music, Patrick B. McCoy, and I'm sure that the listeners have gained a, a great uh, deal of knowledge. I do want to remind everyone, especially in the Washington, D.C. area, 
about soprano Christine Brewer's recital with Vocal Arts BC, which will take place March 23, 2011, at 7.30 p.m. in the Terrace Theater. She will be accompanied by pianist Craig Rutenberg. And it's an opportunity for you to hear a lot of wonderful uh, music that you may not hear on a regular basis. So make sure you get out and get on the website. You can buy tickets at the Kennedy Center at kennedy-center.org or you can visit vocalartsdc.org to find out more information um, about the recital. And uh, just as we leave, I do want to definitely acknowledge Philip Wilder of the 21C Media Group, who has been so helpful to make this uh, interview a reality. And again, Ms. Brewer, I want to thank you so much again, again, and again for joining us this morning. Well, it has been my pleasure, and I'll tell you what, this hour just flew by, Patrick. It really, um, you know, I always get a little nervous, and I think, oh, I hope I can, you know, answer all the questions and come up with something to say, And but you made it very easy, and I really appreciate that. Well, thank you so much, and at this time, I'm going to go ahead and allow the listeners uh, to listen to you sing just as we close, When I Have Sung My Songs by Ernest Charles. This is Christine Brewer from her recording Echoes of Nightingales, accompanied by pianist Roger Vigneault. This has been Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music. You may follow me on Twitter at Patrick D. McCoy, and also join my group on Facebook, Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music. Again, I am Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music, and I do wish you all a wonderful and happy Ash Wednesday. <laughs>